This is episode 12 of Hoops Form, a joint effort of Radius Athletics and a Quick Timeout podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors over at 323 Sports. We're about a month away from the start of camp season, and if you're planning to run a camp this summer, chances are you're probably going to be giving away t-shirts. So right now, 323 Sports is offering a moisture management t-shirt, one color print for $6.99 a piece. To learn more about this incredible deal, visit 323sports.com or contact a rep sales at 323sports.com. They'll be sure to do it right for your sports program. My usual co-host, Randy Sherman, is away on vacation this week. So my good friend, Andrew Wingreen, is with me tonight. And with many of you having spent the last three weeks watching the NCAA tournament, we thought it probably would be a good idea to talk a little bit about X's and O's and some of the trends that we saw in this year's tournament. Uh, according to our, our poll that we did this week, majority of you were interested in us doing some sort of, of half-court offense, and so that's where we'll probably spend most of our time tonight, although we also have some um, some zone offense that we'll talk about, and then also we'll throw up some a couple blobs here at the end to give you a few of those. Andrew, let me go ahead and just start with this in general. As you watched the games, was there any favorite team that you had or favorite teams that you had in regards to team offense or X's and O's? Yeah, I mean, I think when it came down to it, man, those final two teams that we got to see in the national championship were two of the best throughout the whole tournament. I mean, Gonzaga just has so many fun guys to watch, so many weapons, guys who can do different things. And, you know, obviously Mark Few is a great coach. So I loved watching how Gonzaga, you know, just ran their offense and and kind of picked apart defenses, you know, up until that final night. Um, And then Baylor, they, you know, the contrast of styles was fun to watch and, Again, they just got playmakers, guys who who play hard, but they they were able to you know really manipulate matchups. I think in that national championship game, and you know turn defense into offense, which you know was really fun to see. Uh, but I, I think Gonzaga and, and Baylor were two of my favorites to watch. Um, you know the whole thing. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about some of those two teams already. A couple others that we've mentioned on the show: Alabama. Enjoyed watching them. Um, I think Loyola, a lot of people were surprised by some of the things that they did, even though somewhat simple, but uh, a a trend that we'll address in just a few moments here that a lot of teams are doing now. Uh, Creighton is another one with Coach McDermott there who runs a lot of great stuff. And so we'll include some of those here as we go along. Um, This first one, we want to kind of focus on half-court offense. And so we're just going to work our way through some of these plays and talk through some of them. Again, kind of thinking like trends and some things that we saw that I'm sure a lot of you are already picked up on but maybe how you can implement these into your teams, whether or not you have the personnel to do that is another another story. But uh, let me start with this first one here. Uh, Gonzaga is the first one you just mentioned with Gonzaga. Um, and the go screen was like the 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 thing that everyone was doing this, this year. Um, I went ahead and split this up onto two frames, but I think it I originally had it in one frame, but it may have been a little bit confusing. By the way, as you're watching these, uh, I get some questions sometimes as to what, what I – draw these up on. Uh, these are all done on fast draw. Definitely worth it. I also get questions about that. Like, is it is it worth it? For me personally, having the library of everything and the uh, availability of exchanging these with other coaches and making my own playbooks. And um, so that from, from that perspective, it was definitely worth it. As I'm drawing these, usually I'll try to include like at least two levels on what's happening. And sometimes it can, can be confusing because you don't necessarily know the timing of plays. But anything that's in black is the first thing that happens in the play. And then the subsequent color is the second thing that happens. Very rarely will I do a third, but if there's a white uh, arrow of some sort, that's usually what the 
what the third thing will be or the final thing will be in the play. So um, the first one here, ghost screens. Ghost screens typically, we're talking here about the screener coming up and going from slow to sprint to the ball. And then as soon as they get to that spot, sprinting away from the, the screen that they just set. So it's kind of like a slow up to the ball screen. So in this case, it would be two coming up to the ball screen somewhat slowly. And then once they get to where they would typically stop and set the screen, sprinting off there to the side. Uh, was there anything about ghost screens that you either saw that you liked or anything in particular that you saw out of either this play or another one, Andrew, that uh, do you guys run any ghost screens? Yeah, we do. And I, I think those screens are really, you know, effective, especially in today's basketball game, because, you know, it, one way to, you know, get past a switching defense is to run ghost screens. They're really hard to switch. You know, the, the timing can be different depending on how fast somebody sprints up, where they decide to, you know, not set the screen or ghost the screen. Um, so I think that, you know, Gonzaga in particular really utilized that to to mess with the switching defenses. And if, if the defense wants to try and switch, you know, that kind of slide action where they end up passing each other. There's a lot of space and you can oftentimes get downhill or, you know, if you got a, a two, you know, a shooter coming off that setting a ghost screen or even a pick and pop four type player, you know, a fours can be really effective too if, if it's pick and pop because a lot of times, you know, a team is going to be trying to guard a ball screen a certain way. And when it's a big setting a ball screen for, for a guard, they might be having in their mind, like, okay, we're going to try and, you know, corral or, or smoke that screen, you know, a soft hedge, or we're going to try and, and so when you go into a ghost screen, I think that just opens up a lot of opportunities that throws the timing of the defense off. And, you know, we saw a lot of teams utilize that throughout the tournament, but uh, love ghost screens, especially against switching defenses. Yeah, you just said about like opening things up. We've talked a lot on this show about like creating double and triple gaps. And you can see that there on the right frame, frame number two, that after the ghost screen happens, they send up the five to set the ball screen. So you have like those consecutive actions, which are difficult to guard. But then as soon as the ball screen happens, you see there in between one and three, you have really a double double gap that the one could have turned the corner and get into the basket and scored. A lot of times teams will also clear out a side. So instead of having a ball screen, the five will start on the other side of the floor. So maybe they're in like the short corner. So you end up with the two, the four and the five on the other side of the floor. And as soon as the two has already sprinted past off that go screen, the one can just drive to the basket. It almost serves like a blur screen. Um, and so you end up with one being able to either score. If X5 comes over, you can just give a little dump pass off. Or if X3 for some reason comes off of the corner shooter, then you can kick it out to three for a shot there in the corner. So a lot of different things you can do and a lot of different like the second layer that you can change to adjust what you're doing there. So uh, go screens. There's a reason why everyone was using them. So I'm definitely adding a ghost screen or two to my, my playbook next year. All right, this next one here, um, I, I included this one just because kind of an Iverson uh, and then the four high, which I know a lot of teams like to run a lot of things that you can do off of a four high. Um, but instead of sending your two underneath here, putting them up through an elevator screen for a shot, this one was from Stanford, um, the, the Stanford women's team. Uh, Andrew, do you you like elevator screens? I do. And, you know, sometimes elevator screens can, you know, I don't want to say they're easy to guard because they're not, they're, they're hard to execute sometimes because those screens have to close at the right time or you can get called for offensive foul. So, you know, this set in particular, when you run these Iverson or these loop cuts, you know, oftentimes it's going to be that guy going over top who's going to get the ball on the wing and they're either going to rip through and drive or it's going to go into a side ball screen. But you can really disguise an elevator screen with this set. And I think, you know, 
uh, with those Iverson cuts, sometimes that four defender, that four man's defender will, will drop off or he'll kind of be anticipating what's to come, you know, after that pass goes to the wing. So, um, you know, you, you have an easier time getting through the elevator. They might not see it coming, especially if you, you run a few other options out of the Iverson cuts, you know, one or two times before this. But I think it's a great opportunity, uh, you know, get, get a shooter a great look uh, from a spot he can hit a shot. Yeah, Stanford scored a ton of this off of X4, cheating it, and not they wanted to take away the reversal back up to the two. And so it was almost like a screen and slip to the rim. And they got the mm-hmm. ball several times right to the four on the dive to For the sure. front of the rim. So sure. you have no help there because everyone's lifted up and you typically can get an easy look at the front of the rim. So just forcing the defense to decide which one they want to guard, which one they want to take away. So I like that one. All right, this next one here. So this is bigger picture, five out from Loyola. And I know more teams are going to five out where you have the big up there at the top that's kind of initiating things, put the ball in the big's hand and then let them play. Not everybody has a big like that that they will trust to make the decisions, but Loyola had had one in particular. Um, you want to talk through this action here, Andrew? I think you had it called a Chicago action, or a lot of teams will call this a Zoom action. I know when we run this, we call it Zoom, but the you know when you get a, a pin down into a dribble handoff again, if if there's a team that's switching defenses or you know just trying to to really disrupt those actions, those consecutive multiple actions consecutively are really hard to guard. And like you said, if you have a five man or a four man who can create that dribble handoff, and there's opportunities to hand it off and slip against the switch there's opportunities to fake that handoff and drive depending on how they guard it um but those zoom actions are so tough and they just again there's multiple actions are hard to guard in the first place but they're really really hard to guard when they're happening one or two seconds you know right away uh because a defense that doesn't communicate well or maybe they you know have one little mistake in in how they do stuff um it's going to give you an option to score so i love i love that opportunity to get these chicago actions or zoom actions uh, score at a rim. You can have even like faking the handoff and then splitting it yep. and going straight to the rim. Like there's just so yep. many things. That, that's where the decision making. I you doing the small side of games and running these three on three, four on four, and letting them get a ton of reps and switching up defensive coverages will allow your team to probably recognize those a little bit better. All right, next one here. Let's go ahead and go on and talk about this. I like this because it combines two things here. Um, you've got the Spain at the beginning. So after five sets the ball screen, then you have four setting the back screen for five. And then in addition to that, frame number two, you have, well, the dribble handoff from one to three that immediately leads into the ball screen. Um, sometimes that action is kind of called pistol. I know it's not traditional what a pistol is, but anytime. So the last one with our Chicago where you had the pin down to the handoff, this time the handoff comes first in frame number one, followed by the ball screen. And without repeating everything that you just said, kind of the same idea of guarding consecutive actions, multiple things happening on the floor. The defense has to decide what they do. Um, this one was from Oral Roberts. I just kind of wanted to throw this in really quickly here. Um, but a lot very similar to the one that we just talked about there. All right, here's the last one here. Ball screens. Are you guys still, uh, do you still have, or do you s- still see a lot of teams that just kind of go maybe at the end of a half or, um, end of a shot clock. We'll just go four low and then send out the five. It is. It's kind of typical just to, to clear some space, maybe come out and do a little flat ball screen um, and just get your guard downhill. But like, you know, you have written up here with Creighton, just getting getting a guard, whether it's from the corner or somewhere, but kind of having a, a little hook action where they can go set a screen. And, you know, a lot of times 
just that little bit of disruption causes the defense to to maybe think for a split second. And a lot of times that can just open up. So when the five comes to set that ball screen at the top of the key, it just opens up and gives that guard a little bit more space, a little bit more time to get downhill to make a decision. So just adding a little wrinkle into your set like this, instead of just spacing out everybody on the baseline, have a guard come set a screen for your five, almost, you know, like a little, like I said, a hook action and, and get them downhill with a little more space to work. This was just one of like the more creative ways to get into a ball screen. I mean, this was, this was one of the very simple ones that I diagrammed. There were a few others that were, there were like three or four things happening before the ball screen happened. And if you were to just take the last, literally the last like three seconds of the clip, you would have seen that it's nothing more than just a ball screen. But I think as teams have gotten, you can't just send a five out and then like, all right, let's make something happen here. So kind yeah. of creating confusion. I think that's the influence of the European actions where you're creating confusion and maybe at the beginning, some false actions yeah. to then get in the thing that you want to get into. Um, and then frame number two, it doesn't end with a screen roll shake. It was actually a screen and then goes five went and pinned down. So the one wasn't even trying to attack off of that. It was a pin down. And then you have the app opportunity there for the five to slip to the front of the rim, um, which I thought made it kind of a little bit more interesting there. So um, anything else with that one? Just adding those little wrinkles because most teams are going to put all their effort and all their focus on that initial ball screen at the top of the key and just the positioning of however they guard that when the five goes to set that, that pin down instead of rolling. I mean, that's again, that's going to open up a lot of stuff for, for the two to get a shot. Or like you said, for the five to slip it out to the rim and just being a little patient, making one more, one more action happen, make the defense guard one more. Um, again, it just, it opens up a whole new world of opportunity. All right, let's go on and talk a little bit here about zone offense. Those are our half court offense, man stuff. Let's go ahead and talk about some zone stuff. Um, this one was from Loyola. The, if you just look at this, I had somebody comment and be like, that doesn't look like anything special. It looks like what you would typically do against the zone. And I totally agree, but there's the timing of things. And I think the cuts of how you send people through instead of just sending them in straight line drives or having them go run to a spot and then stay the four at the beginning, kind of going and almost setting like a ghost type screen. He wasn't even going and stopping and setting a screen. It was just to make it look like it was a screen and then running to the backside of the zone. And then in frame number two, there. Um, flashing to the middle, and then what, you, what you're what you left with is on the left side of the four, you have X3 that's now having to decide, do I want to guard one or do I want to guard four? So when five catches the ball in the middle, you have the option immediately of catching, facing, looking opposite, and either finding four or one on that side of the floor. Um, we talked about this with Randy a few weeks ago, but we have a whole episode on zone offense. If you uh, search hashtag zone offense tips, you should see it there towards the top. We talked a lot about these and showed some videos of how we how we were trying to distort the zone. And we're going to show in just a few moments some sets for screening the zone, whether that's ball screening or screening the inside of the zone. Andrew, do you all run patterns? Is there some sort of continuity? Are you more quick hitters? What is your zone offense like down there at Stetson? Yeah, we have a few quick hitters we do, but for the most part, it's a lot of a lot of gaps, just running a continuity, trying to find the gaps, you know, a typical zone offense. Um, but obviously teams will pick up on that. So we do have some wrinkles and some some different things we can throw in with sets. But the thing I love, you know, watching Loyola's on offense and everyone was talking about Porter Moser and how how disciplined his team was, how fundamental his team was. And like you said, there's nothing really special about this set. There's nothing special about 
you know, where these, where these guys are going, but it's how they do it. And, you know, the timing, they would set a cut up, they would change their speed and they would explode. And then, you know, in a zone, obviously you have to honor your area and you have to honor those guys in that spot. And just the way that they move that defense around to create these small gaps for a five man to flash. And then now you're playing a two on one in these gaps. And that's where I think the genius comes with watching a guy like Porter Moser and his own offenses is not necessarily the play itself, but watching how his guys time it up and how they actually do do hard cuts. And they, you know, when they flash, it's it's big hands and now it's make a play. So um, I think that's what's really cool about, about his stuff. Yeah. All right, this next one here, the principle I just mentioned about <laughs> screening the zone, screening the top of the zone, and then creating an outnumbered situation on the right side of the floor and then screening the inside of the zone as well. This is a Kansas one. Um, I know you know a little bit about Kansas and have studied some of their stuff, but they have a ton of great zone offense stuff, and this is just one of them here. Um, anything from this you like in particular, or anything you've seen from Kansas that you like about their zone offense? Yeah, I mean, Bill Self is so good, especially in, in overloading the zones just like here. I mean, you, you run those ball screens, and again, you, ha you have to honor a ball screen. You have to defend a ball screen, whether you're in man or zone. So, you know, in this set, you're, you're putting the three-man on an island, um, and he's having to decide, okay, am I going to guard the ball or am I going to guard the point guard who's filling out to the side? And he has to make a decision. Obviously, you got you to gotta stop the ball. So now it opens up that pass to the one, opens up a gap. And now the timing, like we talked about with the Loyalists, that like is that four man screens the inside and the five dives to that block just opens up a world of opportunity because it's it's almost impossible to guard. Like you can't you can't not honor the ball handler coming off that ball screen. So it's 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 an easy pass. And if you set that screen and time it up right, it's gonna be a wide open layup every single time. Similar principle, but screening the different levels of the zone. So we have the top level, the two screening, and then on the bottom level, you have both the four and the five screening the underside of the zone. This is from Winthrop, pinup play. They're in this more during the season than they did during the during the NCAA tournament. But um, you have the one dribbling all the way to the corner, and then that principle again of attacking the zone from behind, sneaking in from behind and getting a pass underneath. I was shocked at how many times this worked, and it worked sometimes against the same team. So um, mm -hmm. just another one very similar to what we just said with screening different levels of the zone. Um, I threw this one in just at the very end. If you search Chalk Talk on Twitter and Fast Models post, I do each week a play of the week. We call it Chalk Talk. And this was our Chalk Talk from last week with Gonzaga screening the top of the zone and also screening the second level of the zone. This was really just a shame, shameless plug for Chalk Talk. So um, if you haven't already seen that, you can go back and watch that video here. Um, let's finish up here, Andrew, with some blobs. I know a lot of blobs. You do a lot of blobs. When we were together, you were in charge of the blobs. So there's two here that I have at the end, but we can talk about some other things as well. Um, the first one, just the principle that I saw a lot of times, like screen the screener. And you're familiar with screening the screener. In addition to this one, we can talk about this one as well. But in addition to this one, any other screen the screener type things that you have seen that you like or that you guys have used? Yeah, I mean, I think screen the screener is so powerful and based on out of bounds because it is, it's hard, it's hard to guard that. And you can oftentimes run it out of several different sets, different looks. So, I mean, you know, Baylor ran it out of a box set, but you can very well run the exact same play out of a four low set. You know, you could even figure out a way to do it out of a four high set just by the way you move your guys, where you put them. Um, but the screen, the screener, again, you if you want to switch it, you get a mismatch. If you want to try and hedge it, most likely someone's going to be open. That slip guy is probably going to be open. Um, so I, I think just m miss, messing around with, you know, kind of disguising 
where you're setting those screen the screeners and and obviously if you can get a shot and maybe hit a hit that three in the corner with the two the very next time you run that set they're gonna hedge out on that and now the five's got to slip to the basket and you kind of you know it's a, a game of chess where you can can manipulate the defense and and kind of get them to guard it a certain way which you know that's one thing i loved about you know teaching our blobs and just talking through those is how how can we run something set it up do the next thing then we're setting up the next play and I think the great coaches do that. And Baylor, you know, they, they scored really well on their baseline out of bounds. I've ran this play, type of play, like multiple times in a row. Because like you yep. said, the first time a team's going to guard it one way, and then I tell them the next time to look for this next one. And then obviously the third time as well. This play was so great that Baylor used it on uh, Monday night, and Stanford had used it the night before and scored several times off it as well. I would strongly encourage you to take a look at Stanford's blob plays they run things out of a box this is the women's team and they have a lot of great stuff that i really haven't seen from other teams so if you're looking for some more box sets for your blobs stanford women's basketball would be a good choice for you all right this is the last one here from our other national title team this is from gonzaga and i included this one in trends because of this the stagger screens i saw a lot of stagger screens both from the men's and the women's side against uh, out of bounds plays is not something you typically see. A lot of times you see stagger plays going towards the basket in a half court scenario, but I don't really a lot of times see them coming out from underneath in a blob scenario. And this is one they will run this frame number one, they'll run it standalone, but then they'll also do a second level to it. And I think that's probably the thought that I want to portray to you or communicate to you that think about. I see a lot of teams that will have your inbounds plays and they have one basically go to. And if that go to is not there, then the play's over and they have a half court set, but think more of them like, okay, first option is that there? If not, then the second one. So frame number one, you have your staggers, dribble handoff for a shooter. I've also seen them pass it out off of this. It doesn't necessarily have to be a a dribble handoff. But then in addition to that, you could have in frame number two, another stagger, five clears out of side. And so you have the two that you could either pass to the one coming off of the three, four stagger, or you have all that space that the two can drive it to the hoop and score. So the idea of having multiple options, and then in addition to that, having multiple options within the one frame uh, would be my thoughts with that one. Um, you see anything else with this you like? Yeah, I think one time, uh, I can't remember what year it was, but we ran a play similar to this, and we had the, the five and the four kind of swapped. So you have a, maybe a pick and pop, four stretch guy who's you know getting that inbounds pass, and and he comes in for the dribble handoff. And instead of, you know, I, I, in this diagram, we have the five kind of diving down to the opposite block. Just have that four pick pop. And one, if the two comes off that dribble handoff and, you know, they switch it or they turn, he turns the corner. Like he has an opportunity to turn the corner. But if he pitches it back to the four, you got a shot. Or you can look to, you know, hit that one coming off the double stagger now and kind of reverse it. Um, and a lot of times teams kind of have to honor that, but with the double stagger, they may have honored it on the first action and they don't have anyone to hundred on the second action. Mm-hmm. So now you got a wide open shot. If they stick with it, that four man, it would be the five in this situation, but the four man on this diagram would have a wide open slip that big to big, you can kind of play high, low. Um, and then, again, you can disguise these, you can run them out of box sets, four lows, whatever you want. Um, but the double stagger, again, multiple actions, just going back to that, that concept, that idea of any, anytime you can get the defense to guard a dribble handoff, then a stagger, then another stagger, there's going to be an opportunity. And as long as you guys understand the decision making and, and what's going to be there, um, I, I, again, I think you should be able to score or at least get a great look on, on these type of plays. 
as you talked frame number two there also made me think you could have basically a triple stagger with five just standing there if two dribbles down to the corner or if two dribbles to the basket to score and gets cut off then you can have kind of like a crackback action where the two turns around reverse pivots and throws it back to one for a shot so you can kind of mix things up do a lot of things out of that that aren't even diagrammed here all right now is our time it's our time to talk uh, beyond the scoreboard a segment presented by sideline interactive you may be wanting to increase your revenue for your program or improve your fan experience and Sideline Interactive is the leading manufacturer in scoring tables, video display boards for high schools and colleges around the country. Uh, to find out more about Sideline Interactive, visit sidelineinteractive.com. Um, our Beyond the Scoreboard segment here that we want to talk about tonight, Andrew, uh, just beyond the final score of that Baylor-Gonzaga game, and everybody, I think we've had time to digest it and think about it, and I've heard a lot of radio talk shows talk about it. Uh, but Baylor's ability to get out to a big lead, I know Gonzaga came back. I don't ever really feel like it was a blowout, even though the score was like that. I think we were always kind of like waiting for Gonzaga to come back and it never really happened. But what impressed you most about Baylor's performance in that title game? Yeah, it was one of those games where you just, you kind of assumed and figured that Gonzaga was going to be able to get right back into it. They were going to get it close at halftime and then just chip away. And it just never really happened. And I I think, you know, you, you tweeted something about this during the game, but Baylor's energy and just the way they played defense was the changing moment of the game. I mean, it was every possession. They were they were hustling. They were active with their hands, active with their feet. They were getting deflections. They were diving on the floor. And it was just it was every possession. It wasn't like they strung one, two or three together. It was every time down the floor, Gonzaga just could not get an easy look unless they somehow forced a turnover and got in transition. But uh, I think the play that, you know, stuck out to me and I'm sure most of you guys have seen you know, the clip of Masio T just kind of going for going for a steal, got a deflection, saved the ball, going out of bounds. And he goes two, three rows deep behind the bench. You know, Gonzaga is reversing the ball. They get it to the opposite corner of the floor. And and Masio T, who's behind the bench on the opposite side, sprints over and he can test the shot. And for you guys who have seen me on here before or listen to podcasts, I love contesting shots, and I think it's it's a huge, um, a huge value to your team. And and that play just kind of encapsulated the, the entire uh, mindset of Baylor for that game. And it was it was all night they were doing that kind of stuff and just wore guys like it down. And again, we we as coaches tell our players that stuff all the time. Those those are the winning type of plays. If you guys do that every possession, you're going to win games. And I think Baylor demonstrated that, and they exemplified exactly what you know, every coach in America would just love to see from their team every night. Um, but it was an incredible performance by them. Uh, really excited for Scott Drew and Jerome Tang just getting that W. And they've obviously put in a lot of work with those guys and they do it for the right reasons with their culture of joy. So it was really fun to watch Baylor. It's very difficult to get your players to play like that for 40 minutes straight. And I felt like they played for that pretty yeah. close to that. And yep. even from that very first possession, you could – like something was up when it felt like they got six offensive rebounds to start the game, like one right after the other. And that's one of those, one of those effort plays and what you mentioned, another effort play and your team. That's one that I'm definitely going to be showing to our team. You can make up for not, you don't have to be perfect, but you can make up for not being perfect with effort plays, whether that is diving on the floor, sprinting across the floor to contest a shot, like their team understood what it took to, 
to win and it didn't have to be shooting an incredible, although they did shoot pretty well from the field too. So yeah, um, yeah a lot, a lot of things that came together well for them. So that was really cool to, cool to see um appreciate all of those who have joined us this week and if you missed any part of the show you can go back and watch the the replay anytime on youtube also on twitter to listen to the show you can go to any podcast platform search a quick timeout and there you'll find the audio version of the show for those who retweeted the post this this week i'm going to send you that playbook here in the next 24 hours so be on the lookout for that thanks so much to andrew for filling in this week For Andrew Wingreen, I'm Tony Miller. We'll talk to you again next Friday on Hoops Form.